All right, Father, we thank you for this Shabbat and this day that you have set aside for us to come and to spend time with you and to focus on what you have to say to us and what you have said to us and to uh, devote that day to you, to rest in you. So we ask that you would do that for us today, that you would give us today a day of rest. That we, even, when, even when we're in here and afterward when we leave, that we might rest in you. Pray for those who are leading us in worship this morning, for Rod and the team, and ask that you would move in through them in your spirit, that they might truly lead us in a time of worship. And likewise, Father, help each of us to be willing this morning to open up, to not be afraid to show our emotions as we worship you, to praise you in any way that your spirit leads us. Pray for those who are leading us in the time of opening your word. Pray for Daniel as he gives the message this morning. Thank you that you have been preparing him for the message he's going to give us this morning. And I ask you this morning that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word this morning. My prayer, Father, is that when we leave today, that we leave somewhat changed, that we leave not the same person who came in, but someone who has praised you this morning and who has heard your word and is willing to apply it in our lives. So we commit this service to you this morning. We thank you for all that you have given us, for the blessings that you have given us. We thank you for the season of new life. And we ask that you would do that for each of us. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you, Carlos. Uh, there's something about coming together and worshiping as believers. Amen. Please join us as we worship the Father today.
Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. I'll pour out my spirit. My servants will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens. Signs in the earth below in that day. In that day. Yes, in that day. In that day. In that day. In that day. Oh, in that day. In that words, hear these words, 
we'll be saved. We'll be saved. Be here. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for the beautiful weather. We thank you for every person here in this place, in this fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a place to join together, to have a holy convocation before you. We thank you for all the blessings of this congregation, Lord, for every person here, Father. From the elders, Lord, all the way down to the brand new baby in our midst who just opened their eyes the other day. Father, I pray that you would pour out your blessing upon us here in this congregation. I pray that you would use the offering taken mightily in this community and in this fellowship to help those that are in need. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you give to us, Lord. And may we be a beacon of hope, a beacon of light, Lord, to this community. That we would share your grace, your love, and every blessing that you pour out upon us. Use us mightily, Lord, to feed the hungry bring clothing to those who need and to help anyone who is in need, Lord. May we always pray for one another. May we lift up and encourage one another in whatever way that we need healing. So we thank you, Lord, on this Sabbath day for all your blessings and all your provisions. 
Father, we give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise in this place. It's in your son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you for joining us here at HFF this week. We hope you had a wonderful week. I know the weather finally turned a little bit for the better. Let's get out and do some yard work and offer our pretty much the first fruits of the modern Midwest, and that's the first cut of grass that you have to mow and then have to give as a wave offering in the Oklahoma wind. Here at HFF, we like to take the first five minutes of our teaching to talk about the Torah portion, the first five books of Moses. And here this week, our Torah portion is entitled Zav, which means command. We just started the book of Leviticus, and we are going through all the different offerings that used to be taken up in the tabernacle that was offered by the Levites, by the children of Israel in the wilderness. And God commanded the Lord to speak to Aaron and his sons and the Levites. This is how you were to process these offerings. This is what you were to do. This is how the children of Israel were able to come into the presence of God. The offerings that are given in the book of Leviticus, the Hebrew word there is korban, which literally means to draw near. That every time that an offering was given, the children of Israel desired to draw near to the presence of God, which was dwelling in their midst, in the tabernacle. Now here today in our modern lives, we don't have a tabernacle, we don't have a physical altar, we don't Many of us don't have flocks or herds to bring an offering. A few of us maybe have gardens that a, there was an offering that was taken up in the tabernacle. It was called the mincha offering, which was a grain offering, or somebody could bring the fruits of the ground that they, the, of their garden, and they could bring that as an offering before the Lord. But many of us even today don't have gardens that we would even be able to do that as well. It causes us to sit and look at some of these commandments about giving offerings before the Lord at a tabernacle, at an altar that physically doesn't exist anymore, and we have to figure out, how does that work for us? Does that, is that applicable to us today to study these things, to understand the, the, the offerings and the sacrifices that were given on that altar? I submit to you that it is, because what physically is being described here, there's something even greater, something spiritual happening at this time and in this place. What it was, was it was the presence of God and it was the sons of God, it was the sons of Israel desiring to come near to the presence of God to worship him. You didn't come into the presence of God empty-handed. You didn't bring, you, you didn't come with nothing. You came and you brought your offering. And it was not just because you sinned. It was not just because you sinned and then we have to have a sacrifice for that sin to have forgiveness and to make restitution. Yes, there were offerings and there were provisions that if you had sinned, there was a way that you could accidentally, if you sinned, and then you could come back into the presence of God through the process of a sin offering. But other offerings that were given were entirely voluntary for someone to give to the Lord, to come into that presence. Not because they had sinned, but because out of the goodness of their heart and they had a willing heart to come and worship the Lord and they desired to be in his presence. The offerings that were taken 
It was not just about you taking, you know, your sin and your burdens and putting it upon this animal, and then this animal was put up on an altar, and it was sacrificed, and it's like, and and then you praise the Lord that your sacrifices have been cut and are now dead and are gone. No, that's not the way that it worked. That's not what the laying on of hands even meant or represented. Because the laying on of hands upon the person who brought the offering, they would put their hands upon that offering, even if it wasn't a sin offering. So what was going on there? What it was, was you were taking a part of yourself, a part of your being, and you were imparting yourself into that offering so that you were literally offering yourself to God. That's what you did when that offering was taken, that you were taking of yourself and giving of yourself. It's not just because you were taking your burdens and then suddenly you could walk away and feel better. No, you should feel like that you dedicated your life and you put yourself into the service of the Most High God dwelling in your midst. That's what the laying on of hands, and that's what you were doing. You were to to give of yourself and to bring that offering. There's one little note that I love to to bring out here in our Torah portion when it's describing the details of the different offerings, the sin offering, the trespass offering. It says that they were all done in the same place as as the burnt offerings and the other offerings that were given. They were all sacrificed in the same place so that each son of Israel could come to the priest and come and make their offering. And there was not a separate line and a separate place for all the sin offerings. And then over here was another place where all the peace and the burnt offerings were given and the voluntary offerings so that the ones over in this line could look over at the ones on this line and say, look at all those sinners over there. That didn't exist. There wasn't a separation like that. There wasn't a separation between who who was coming and what they were bringing. They would come to the priest, they would say what their offering was for, and they could worship the Lord in their way without the ridicule of somebody looking down on them because of the type of offering that they were bringing. We should never pass judgment upon anybody that we see in our midst of who's a sinner and who's, a, and who's not. That you look and it's all like, you see that guy, that amount of sin that they're living in? Man, they need to bring a lot more sin offerings. I'm here just praising the Lord with my offering here. We should never have that thought process. We all come before the Lord. We all desire to draw near to him. And some of us, yes, have fallen away in some way. And we need to return back to the presence of God. And we need to make sure when we appear before God that we're not empty-handed in our giving of ourself to God. These offerings were, many of these were voluntary. They desired to worship God. They desired to bring these offerings. I can imagine that there were people in the camp of Israel, in their midst, never brought an offering. They sat back and it's all like, oh, they had all these provisions. We have all this instruction. If you want to bring an offering, you can bring this offering. I bet there was somebody in the congregation that had plenty of herds, had plenty of livestock. They, they were, you know, well known in the community. And they, they never came. They never desired to bring that voluntary offering. There were those that very much desired to worship the Lord. They'd bring a sin offering to make sure they were covered there. They'd bring a trespass offering to make sure they were covered there. And after we're covered there, then I'm going to bring a peace offering. I'm going to worship the Lord. And I'm going to bring an offering every day if I can. Some people would do that. Others, eh, maybe I'll get around to it. Which one would you be? Would you be the one that would be so desiring to go and enter into the presence of God and worship him? 
It's your choice. Would you desire to be that close or oh, I'm just going to watch from afar? I see this smoke coming up off this altar. I can see the ta- outside of the tabernacle and I kind of know what's in there because I saw them when they were building it, but I'm, I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to bring an offering. Maybe I don't have anything to bring. Well, the Messiah cleared that one up when the widow brought two little copper coins and still came and worshiped the Lord. There's always something that you can bring before the Lord. Always. Just like I said, that offering was a part of themselves. They put it upon this animal. It wasn't about the animal. The book of Leviticus, the very first words of the book of Leviticus, it says, if any man among you wants to bring an offering, we're not talking about just killing animals here. We're talking about every person that is of the people of God bringing an offering to worship his God. That's what it's about. Would you be with the ones that would bring the offering, that would voluntarily bring those offerings because you desired to worship him? Or would you get around to it? I'm reminded of a parable. It's, my, it's probably, probably my favorite parable, and it's a, it's a huge warning to many brethren. And it, it, it should, should kind of scare you and, you know, it's like, you know, the Messiah spoke of a lot of things and he spoke of, you know, that there'll be those that say that they cast out demons in, their, in your name and then he'll turn to them and say, I never knew you. That's kind of scary. Judgment comes first on the household of God. That's kind of scary. But the parable that I like is the one about the great supper where a king has a feast and has the big table and he wants to bring all of his friends and all the brethren and the master of the universe wants a feast Come, worship with him. Come and eat and and partake of this feast. So he goes and sends word to all of his friends and all the believers and says, here, come join me at the feast, but they're too busy with something else. I just bought a piece of land. I got to check on this. I just did this. I'll, I'll get around to it. And the king looks at the empty spot at his table that was set for one of his friends, and they decide to not come. So he turns to his servants, and he says, go out into the Go out into the streets. Find me the people to bring. Find somebody. Some My table will not be empty. So they go in. So the servants go. They might have found a few people. But then they go and they're like, oh, we can't find anyone else. So then he says, go into the wilderness. Bring me the leper. Bring me the sinner. Bring me anyone you can find and come to sit at my feast. The household of God, the believers, the ones that, that we, we look and we... Um, associate with the children of Israel. There were some that never came and brought the offering, that never accepted the invitation to come. When it's all said and done, it's the ones with the big heart, it's the sinner and the leper, they're the ones that sit at the table with the master when it's all said and done. So if you're hurting, if you feel like you don't have anything to bring, there's a place for you at the table. And let that be a warning to those of us that do have strong faith and believe, are you going to let something else get in the way of you joining the master at his table? Something going to get in the way? Is something else going to come up? It's your choice. It's voluntary. It's by invitation. We've all been invited to come into the presence of the Most High God. 
We have to do this and we have to figure this out spiritually in our own heads, in our own hearts. What kind of believer are we going to be? What kind of person am I going to be? And who do I worship and where do I put my effort, my energy, and where do I bring my offerings and what do I draw near to? Ask that of yourself. Look in your own heart and see which one are you. Heavenly Father, we come before you on the Sabbath day. We thank you for all the blessings and provisions of this place. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your instruction, Lord. And may we always turn to draw closer to you. May we always worship you in spirit and truth, Lord. And may we always look to you for all things. Father, I pray for all of my brethren, Lord. I pray for the sinner among us, Lord. I pray for even the one who is so strong in their faith, Lord. Father, I pray that they not fall away from the faith. I pray, Lord, that they always turn to you for all answers and all provisions, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you give to us here, for your teaching and your instruction, and for all the beautiful children in our congregation. May we always remember and we continue to look forward to the time in which you cause us to grow and prosper. And Father, we do look forward to the day that you're coming very, very soon, Lord. And may your kingdom come. And Lord, what a glorious day that will be and the time in which we can turn and we can bring our offerings to you again. So we love you and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. If we could have all the kids come on up, pour out a blessing upon them. Hi, Eva, you won. You were here first? Oh. Okay, I didn't know about the music. But that's a pretty nice touch. All right. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We pour out a blessing upon all of these children, these little ones that we see before us, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for every unmerited favor that you give to us, Lord, and for every blessing and mercy and grace. And it's by the grace of God, Lord, that we see all of these beautiful faces, Lord, these beautiful children, Lord, that are images of you. Father, we thank you for giving us parents and elders, Lord, the opportunity to speak life into them, Father, and I pray that you always, you always give us the words of wisdom to say, that we always remember to tell them of the stories of old, Lord, of all of your commandments and your instructions for them to walk uprightly before you, Lord, and to grow in their faith in you. Father, we pray the sons to be as Ephraim and Manasseh, make them fruitful and multiply and cause them to grow and be great leaders in their communities and in their families, Lord. We pray that you make the daughters to be as Ruth and as Esther, Lord. Make them righteous daughters of Zion, Lord, and let your mitzvot and your commandments and kindness always be in their hearts and upon their lips. We thank you, Lord, for every blessing here. So, Father, I pray that you would make the sons to be as Ephraim and Manasseh, make the daughters to be as Ruth and as Esther. And, Father, I pray that you lift up your countenance upon them, turn your face toward them, and give them peace. So we love you and bless you on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.
we've got a new little body in our little blessing here today. Congratulations, guys. And, uh, you know, for uh, the, the wonderful thing about parenthood is it's all up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down from here. So, fantastic. <laughs> uh, so, uh, this week, uh, you know, we have a, a different uh, reading than last week. I know that's a shock to most of you. Okay? No. Um, so, last week, we talked about how the, you know, the, the people, we were to bring forth offerings. Okay? This is what Leviticus starts off with is bringing forth offerings, and, and what the different offerings were that we were to bring, and how we were to bring them. And then, here in this week's readings, it switches gears. It's the same thing. It repeats over. But this time, it's not from our perspective, but it's from the priest's perspective who's receiving those offerings, and what they are to do when we bring forth these offerings. Here's how they receive them, and they are to implement them. Okay? So, question here. Um, how many people here are from the Levitical house? None. No, no Aaronic priests here. Okay, so then we can skip this week's reading because none of it applies to us, right? No, that's not how it works, right? Okay. So, obviously we don't have any priests in the house. We don't have any Levites in the house. However, there are some incredibly important lessons that we learn here in this week's readings, okay? It says specifically, Leviticus chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, read, The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out, but the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it and offer up in smoke the fat portions of the peace offerings on it. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. Now, if we take a look back at when the temple was dedicated, okay, we know that this fire actually came from heaven. That the, the altar was lit by fire from heaven. And so that fire continually burns, but it was the priest's job to keep it burning. Okay, and so in this, the, the, uh, the, the phrase that is used here is in, that, uh, in verse 13 of chapter 6 is esh tamid, that is fire continually, okay? Um, now, if you look in, uh, you know, especially the, the Hasidic branch of Judaism, they talk a lot about this esh tamid, and, and they talk about how the fire is to be burning continually all the time, and it's very important to them. Now, they've gone, you know, very um, uh, mystical with it, okay? But uh, it's a very important concept within Judaism. Now, this word tamid, continually, this word's very important. We see it in Exodus chapter 25, verse 30, where it says, you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me, tamid, at all times. Talking about the bread that was in the most holy place. That bread there was to be before him at all times, tamid. Then we see a couple chapters later, Exodus chapter 27, verse 20. You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light. This is speaking of the menorah. Also in the holy place, 
to make a lamp burn tamid continually. That lamp is to always burn before him. Now, of course, we understand that the bread is represented by Yeshua, the bread of life, always before the Father. That the lamp, the menorah, the light of the world also represents Yeshua, the lamp that is burning continually, always before the Father. Okay, so we can start to understand some things. Now, when we tie that in with the other article that was there in the holy place, the Ark of Incense, that is to bring forth the incense, which represents our prayers, which are presented before the Father, Tamid, continually. Now we start to understand what Paul was saying when he says, pray without ceasing. Because it is our prayers that are a pleasant aroma to him. Now I didn't talk about this, you know, I didn't prepare this part, but I'm going to rabbit trail here for just a second. So, Um, there is a phrase that is used here in this when it talks in chapter 6 about the grain offering, okay? Uh, And it's it's reach nichoach is the the Hebrew there. And it's a fragrant aroma. So in the grain offering, this frankincense and, and myrrh were added to the grain offering so that when it was set on the altar, it created this beautiful aroma, And this is exactly what Paul is referring to because you also have these incenses in the table of incense that create this fragrant aroma and it's pleasing unto Adonai when we are continually presenting our prayer unto him. It is a pleasing aroma to him. So this this tamid also takes another form. Okay, so this word continually. Exodus chapter 29, two chapters later, Verses 38 and 39. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day, tamid, continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Now, we know that traditionally what happened here was that they would offer one in the third hour of the day, roughly around 9 a.m., and then one in the ninth hour of the day, roughly around 3 p.m., And so every day on the altar, a lamb was brought as a tamid, a continual offering in the temple, in the tabernacle. And so this tamid constantly took place until, as we know, the destruction of the temple twice. Okay? But as such, this tamid is very important in scriptural context, because something that is continually to be going on is very important. Now, as we jump back to Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13, fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. Now, this requires work. Think about when we go to Sukkot and we have a campfire. And we have that fire burning, okay? It requires a bit of work, first of all, to get it going in the first place. Second of all, to keep it going, okay? And then what happens is this. We never, ever, ever, because we're always blessed with perfect weather at Sukkot, we never, ever get any kind of challenge as far as the weather is concerned. So it's so easy just to maintain the fire. Here's the thing. Think about what we have to go through to maintain that fire if it happens to rain. And perhaps rain for not just a few hours, but for a few days. 
think about the work that has to go in because it was the priest's job to make sure this fire never went out. And that means they had to get it burning so hot that the rain did not quench it, that snow did not put it out. They had to work continuously to gather wood, even in a drought, even in the rain. Whatever the conditions were, they had to gather wood. They had to keep that wood dry so that it would burn and keep that fire hot enough so that it would survive whatever weather would bring. Not an easy task. In addition to that, it was dirty because they had to collect the ashes and dispose of those ashes. This wasn't glamorous work, okay? Being a priest wasn't like the most exalted position in society. There was some grunt work that was involved here. They were servants. And so as such, they had to continually tend to this fire in order to make sure that it would continuously burn because this was their main instruction, keep it continually burning. Why is this important to us? Again, we're not Levites. There's no temple. There's no altar. We don't have to worry about it right now. Even if there was, we don't have to worry about it because it's not our job. There are men that are assigned by Adonai to whom this task is their responsibility. It's not ours. Why are you focusing on this, Daniel? Very simple. Because the principle is here. If the fire on the altar goes out, the whole reason why the fire cannot go out is because then the sacrifices won't work. And we talked last week about how when we commit unintentional sin and this sin is brought to our attention, this is our remedy. And it functions perfectly for what it is designed to do. And that is to atone for and allow forgiveness for us on our part for our unintentional sin. But if the fire goes out, we can't even be absolved of that. The same principle is true here A religious life without faith is like offering a sacrifice on a cold altar. It serves no purpose because that sacrifice is going nowhere. And it's certainly not rising as a sweet aroma unto him. There is no means for a sacrifice to be elevated to heaven if there is no fire. So, again, we live in a, a life, in a time and age where we do not have an altar, we do not bring sacrifices. Zechariah says that will return. When he establishes his kingdom, we will see these things reestablished. And in fact, Yeshua himself will be there watching over that. But in the meantime, what do we say? Well, Paul answered this question. Although Paul lived in a time in which there was a temple and there was an altar and there was Levites and there was priests. And yet Paul makes this reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of Elohim and that the spirit of Elohim dwells within you? 
He then goes on to say three chapters later, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from Elohim, and that you are not your own? What that means is, if we are a temple, then there is an altar where there exists a fire. It is our job to maintain that fire. We may not be Levitical priests tending to a physical altar and a physical fire, but we are to tend the flames in the spiritual temple that is in our body. Now, here's the thing. I have heard from many people through the years, I left that church because I wasn't being fed. I'm sorry. As a pastor, it is not my job to feed you. It is your job to feed yourself, unless you're a little one who can't feed themselves. So if you qualify yourself as a little one who can't feed themselves, then I'm here for you. But if you are a grown person, spiritually mature, the role of a pastor is not to feed you. If you are coming here and expecting your once-a-week feeding being here, I'm sorry, this is a great fellowship. I'm a little biased. We have great teaching here. But that is not enough food. You need to be feeding yourself. Here's the thing. If you only tend your fire one time a week and that's here, it's going to go out. How do you fuel your fire? Very simple. Well, what's the fuel that you put on a fire? It's wood, right? Wood burns. This was made out of wood. Start grabbing those pages and spiritually ripping them and feeding the fire that's inside. This is your fuel. This is what you will keep dry and protected because you're going to need it every day single day. If you are not feeding your fire with the fuel that you have been provided with, then it's going to go out. Now here's the thing. Just like the priests, you have to go out and get that fuel. It's not just going to jump on the fire. They're not, you know, the wood isn't going to line itself up and march and toss itself into the fire on some assembly line. You have to go get it. And when you get it, you then have to carry it. And when you carry it, you then have to come close to the fire and feel its heat. And then you got to do the dirty work of cleaning up the ashes that are left over. And then you have to place new wood, new fuel on that fire. This is not easy. It's not fun. Sometimes it is especially on those cold days, it's really fun because you're warmed by that same fire. So the question here today is, what are you doing to keep your fire burning? What is it that you are doing on a daily basis to tend to that fire, that tamid, that continually burning fire, Are we 
satisfied to let it go out and try and rekindle it on Sabbath? Oh, the day you're not supposed to kindle a fire? Here's the thing. As it is with the Sabbath rule of not kindling a fire, if you tend to your fire, you don't have to rekindle it on Sabbath because it's already burning. Therefore, you don't have to work on Shabbat to keep that fire going because you will have already made those preparations. The same is true in our spiritual lives. Are we giving our fires enough fuel to keep them burning? Are we being watchful in tending to that fire? Or are we allowing the rains that come to snuff it out? Because here's the thing, in a rain, when you experience the rainy season in your life, the snowy season in your life, it will take more fuel to keep that fire going. And you will have to be more diligent during that time to keep that fuel dry and protected than you will when the weather's nice and clear. When the weather's nice and clear, everything is blessed, everything is good, it's easy to tend to the fire. It's when the challenges come that you need more fuel. So the question here is, is our fire burning hot enough that when the rains come, it will not be quenched. There was a, a song, and yes, this will reveal how uh, long I've been in church, okay? So back in the 80s, fan the flame in my heart, let the cold and dying embers burn anew, right? So some of us are shaking our heads, we know this song. Where, do these, where does this thought come from, the author of that song, where, where does that come from? Because scripture doesn't talk about a flame in your heart necessarily, okay? Except for this. The second letter Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter one, verse six. Now the NIV version is the version I have here because it, it says it the best in my opinion. It says, for this re reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of Elohim which is in you. So are we fanning into flame those gifts that he's placed within us? Are we feeding our fire? Or are we expecting someone else to keep that fire going for us? Because you are a temple. It is your responsibility. No, it is your honor and your privilege to keep your fire going. May we all be diligent like the priesthood was diligent to keep the fire burning continually. And may our lives be hot enough that when the sacrifices are placed upon the altar within us, that those sacrifices rise as a pleasing aroma to our king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the instruction that we find within it. We thank you for the encouragement that is there. And we thank you that even in times when we think that the word doesn't necessarily apply to us, yet you have shown us many, many ways.
in which your word is true, it is faithful, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it speaks to us if we would only listen. So Father, we submit our lives to you. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds to understand, that we would know what it is that you are trying to tell us, and that through that, that we would be able to provide the fuel to keep that fire burning hot for you that we might present to you continual praise, continual prayer, continual sacrifice that rises to you in a pleasing aroma that you would take joy in your children worshiping you. So, Father, we submit our lives to you and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke in emotion and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel." May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.